0: At 70, I sit in the leather chair, feet outstretched on the ottoman, pillow on my stomach, book resting on top of that. I have a very limited view of myself, basically my hands and the outline of my feet inside a pair of socks. This is a welcome change from Zoom calls, where the time spent looking at my image has surpassed the cumulative time in front of a mirror. I'm tired of dwelling on the emerging dewlap on my neck, a structure commonly seen in hoofed animals, lizards, and 70-year-old humans. The ottoman is weathered with crisscrossing scratches and dings, but it's an inviting look. The same lived-in look on upholstery, tattered, frayed, would call for a freshened, upgraded makeover. I feel a serene sense of identity with the ottoman. I look at my hands and realize that if I hyperextend my wrist, my lax skin is thrown up into folds that look like a mountain range from the beginning of time. As I slowly clench my fists, the skin tautens, the wrinkles disappear, and a flat plane of smooth skin emerges like an unruffled desert. I practice simulating the millennia of erosion during the lifetime of the dinosaurs, from the Mesozoic through the Cretaceous era, when an asteroid wiped them all out. A distinct memory from my 45th birthday burbles up, the moment I realized my life was surely half over. This didn't prompt thoughts of how to ennoble my remaining life. I was completely consumed with the responsibilities of parenthood and a career. The care of my aging parents loomed on the horizon. Now, at 70, I have graduated, with honors, from the sandwich generation, parents peacefully departed after full, well-lived lives, children fully fledged with lives of their own. I'm a grandmother of two. Now thoughts of mortality have the time and opportunity to slither from the depths of my mind. They patiently hover at the periphery. Decisions need to be made about my remaining time. I don't want to make my parents mistake. They did not embrace technology beyond the clicker on their TV set. No cable, no internet. They had nothing to entertain them as they transitioned to a more sedentary life. My father could have spent hours researching his passions of antique cars. My mother would enjoy witty emails with remote friends. What technology should I keep up with? How about a Twitter handle? An Instagram feed? What will sustain me for the long haul? When will it be too late to start? An offensive genre of books has emerged that gleefully proclaim the 100 things to eat, visit, travel, etc., the 100 things to do before you die, I don't want anyone else telling me what I'd be missing unless I get a move on. However, my bucket list does need attention. Its only item consists of my goal to author a crossword puzzle that is published by the New York Times Sunday Magazine. I've nailed the concept. It will be titled R.I.P. The theme answers will be idioms for death, such as kick the bucket or bite the dust. I hope that the New York Times will publish it on Memorial Day. Ensconced in the senior generation, I'm at an age where a friend advised me to get to know my doctor better because inevitably I will need his services more. Fortuitously, I've had few encounters with the medical profession. Over the past 70 years, I've broken a leg, an arm, and a rib, not all at the same time, have had two benign breast biopsies, and have had surgeries for an obstetrical mishap and a stone-laden gallbladder. A pretty decent record that I am proud of but I can't deny that I'm heading into a decade where death will seem increasingly less untimely. My mother at my age now, or to give myself a bit of breathing room maybe in her mid-70s, shops specifically for a wardrobe suitable for funerals, since I'll be going to so many more. Any moment of forgetfulness, previously easily dismissed, now acquires an ominous aura, perhaps flailing to recall the word etui, an essential piece of my vocabulary built on a 50-year history of the New York Times crosswords. A persistent cough, a skipped heartbeat, a splotch of blood where it doesn't belong. So far, so good. I look down at my socks, decorated with birds on a wire. The jagged outline of a troubled toenail strains at the fabric, succumbing to the planned obsolescence of novelty socks. They won't last the summer. My living room is filled with images of birds. Some gathered on my own, but many are gifts from friends who know my interest. A hutch filled with ceramic birds sits on the mantle. Many years ago, I glued an aspirin to one eye as part of a rousing hide-in-plain-sight game for a large family gathering with many young kids, now all grown up. We haven't played the game in years, but the aspirin is still there, as is the penny glued to the eye of a copper bird statue. My son once counted over 50 birds in the room, but he inflated the number by counting every bird in a flock of sandhill cranes. I wonder what will happen to these birds when it comes time to dismantle this house. Will anyone play the hide-in-plain-sight game again? or wonder why there is an aspirin glued to a bird's eye. Our dining room contains portraits of my triple-great-grandparents salvaged from the attic of my uncle's garage. I had recently stayed in a bed-and-breakfast whose dining room featured similar portraits. When I asked about their ancestors, the owner told me she had picked them up at a flea market to enhance her Victorian theme. I didn't want my triple-greats to become a random tchotchke. I removed the portraits from the impending dumpster, repaired them, and hung them in my dining room. One thirty-second of my DNA can be traced back to these pioneers, who left their farm in upstate New York to settle in Illinois. However, I sense that any connection to these folks has become so tenuous that it's unlikely they will escape the dumpster on the next go-round. I became a compulsive quilter during the pandemic, completing thirty quilts in the past two years. I've given many away as gifts to friends, as wedding gifts, or as contributions to silent auctions. I've kept the favorites for myself. What will become of them? While I realize I have no control over how anyone chooses to remember me or my possessions, I do hope that my more creative improvisational quilts will be passed on to future generations. Concessions to Age Accumulate I always check bags on an aeroplane now, fearful of dumping my overpacked roller bag on the head of a fellow traveller. We no longer replace the heavy storm windows on our own, but dragoon a likely candidate passing through-a hearty nephew, a younger friend, or a repurposed tradesman in exchange for a quick and grateful tip. Reading a book this afternoon is another concession. I don't recall ever seeing my mother read a book. She was a bright and curious woman, but focused on physical and social activity. She collected all her projects in a notebook embossed in gold with the title, Woman of Action. Reading in the afternoon would suggest that someone had a serious case of not enough to do. She would say, it's a beautiful day, why don't you get outside? Aside from violent weather, she considered every day a beautiful day, wasted on sedentary pursuits. I still carry this guilt, particularly since I will surely fall asleep. A nap in the middle of the afternoon would have been anathema to my mother. The book is an important prop. It keeps me sitting up and makes the nap seem inadvertent, not a planned indulgence. I choose a hardback book because it lends a certain gravitas to the tableau. A magazine, and God forbid a people magazine, would combine a guilty pleasure with an indulgence, a sight unfit for public consumption. I align the spine of the book on my sternum. The equal weight pressing on both sides of my ribcage feels like a comforting and protective hand. An elder friend and mentor of mine forwarded me the link to We Croak, a website focusing on mortality. The website explains, quote, The Wee Croak app is inspired by Butany's folk saying, quote, To be a happy person one must contemplate death five times a day. End quote. Each day, we'll send you five invitations to stop and think about death. Our invitations come at random times and at any moment, just like death. End quote. I'm momentarily tempted, but the app requires a $2 per month subscription. At the onset of my eighth decade, I see no need to provide a paid invitation to the specter of mortality to step forward from the shadows for a full frontal view. The meager website following of 175 subscribers, within the range of family and friends, suggests that the bigger world of strangers shares my reaction. Several years ago, my son Ned was traveling on a slow train through India, seated next to a proselytizing Hindu determined to convert him. He kept asking Ned about his thoughts of the afterlife. Ned stopped the interminable harangue with the simple statement, I'm willing to be surprised. I could spend quality time with deep philosophic thoughts, as so many others have. How to take advantage of the time that is left, the death moment itself, how people will remember me, and how long that memory will be retained by future generations. Not today. I don't have the emotional wherewithal to do more than skitter around mortality's fringes. I'm willing to be surprised. That's the perfect solution at this very moment. I lean back and feel the gentle spring sun. A breeze riffles the pages of my book. I close my eyes.